0: Well again my name's Brad Bennett and I'm Making Disciples Director for the Missouri Baptist Convention. I have that privilege. Um, I It's an honor to be with you all this morning. Um, started a ministry called Real Encounter 20 years ago but how that came about was um, when I was 19 years old I had a real encounter with Jesus that forever changed my life. I didn't grow up in church, uh, didn't know much about spiritual things but for whatever reason even though I didn't grow up in a Christian home um, I had a respect for God. I, I uh, respected his word. I believed that Jesus was God's son. I knew that he died on the cross. He was buried, resurrected on the third day. But I didn't understand the big picture. I didn't know how that applied to me until uh, October 16, 1986 to be exact. Um, I was racing motorcycles. Uh, I was able to race professionally motocross and I met um, another rider that was also a professional as well His name is Steve Wise, big name in motocross A guy that I aspired to be like We invited over to some people's house Where some other riders were invited and, uh, To meet Steve and we talked mostly About, about motorcycles and racing uh, But then he began to share His faith with us He shared what it meant to have a relationship With Jesus Christ And I, I picked up on uh, The fact real quickly that There was something different about him and I don't know, I can't speak for all the other guys that were there. There's probably 15 of us there to, to hear Steve. But uh, uh, Steve came up to me out of all those guys at, toward the end of the evening and asked me to go out in the front yard. And he asked me a question that forever changed my life. And he said, Brad, if you died right now, where would you go? Where would you spend eternity? And I said, well, I, I, think, I think I would go to heaven. He said, well, it makes you think so. And, and uh, I said, well, my concept was do more good than bad. And he began to share from God's word of how a person can know that they know. What it means to be born again, to have eternal life. Not only have a different life in the life to come, but have a different life here and now. And I so desired that. And so about 8.30 p.m. at night, I came to the place where I understood I was a sinner separated from God. That Jesus came and lived a life that I could not live, a perfect life. And that he shed his blood as a payment for my sins. And was buried and yes, resurrected, overcame death. And that I too, by putting my faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone, I would step over from death to life. In the blink of an eye, when I repented, I was going away from God. But in that moment as I prayed and asked God to forgive me. And I accepted his grace and mercy and made that 180 degree turn to him. My life forever changed. In the blink of an eye. My life has never been the same. And so I continued racing for a few more years, but you know it wasn't the same. As I uh, began to grow in my relationship to Christ, I realized that there was more important things than racing motorcycles. And so I laid it down; didn't have anything to do with it. And about six years later, um, as I was growing in my faith, the Lord called me to full-time vocational ministry as an evangelist. And I just prayed a very simple prayer. I said, "God, what what does this ministry look like? What what do you want me to do?" And he said, well, I want you to ride motorcycles again. I hadn't ridden motorcycles for a few years. and I, I, We're going to do it for a different purpose this time. It's for me. It was for you before. Now it's going to be for me. I, yes, sir. And so that's what we did. We uh, started this ministry 21 years ago called Real Encounter. And uh, little did I know uh, what God had in store uh, for, for me, for us. And uh, we've been able to share the gospel in person to over a half a million people And we've seen thousands upon thousands come to know Christ And he gets the glory for that We've traveled all over the nation, all over the world um, Weren't looking for it, but uh was on America's Got Talent a few years ago and, and the Lord used that in great ways And he continues to use it today Even though I'm at the Missouri Baptist Convention, I still, I'm still an evangelist and uh, I still get to, to travel some and, and preach the gospel. We try to keep it more in Missouri now that I work for the convention. And so here we are. We're, we're at the Ridge Church today. And we're going to, real encounters going to come. i got a few guys going to show up here in a few hours. And they're going to start setting up ramps. And it's going to be crazy. Uh, you know, I, when I started the ministry, I was 30, something like that. And I thought, well, you know, if I could still stunt ride motorcycles till I was 40 that'd be cool and 40 came and I'm like well maybe maybe 45 and 45 came we kept doing the ministry and God kept kept blessing and I got to 50 and I'm like well I, I still have all my limbs intact even though I've broken <laughs> many bones and surgeries and separated my shoulder just a few years ago and still getting hurt it seems like but But uh, God continues to bless it. 54 years old. I'm going to be stunt riding this afternoon, so we'll uh, see how that goes. But more importantly, more importantly than the stunts, is sharing the gospel. And you know, my wife's always reminded me of that. And I've I've got an incredible wife and three girls and three grandkids. But my wife's like, you know, you don't have to do the motorcycle. Like, you can let those younger guys do it. And you preach the gospel, and I will be doing that till the day I die. And so speaking of that, preaching the gospel, speaking the gospel, presenting the gospel, I've had a heart for evangelism. As a matter of fact, as, after I got saved that night in the front yard of those people's house, um, I hadn't been through, obviously, in that moment, evangelism 101. Uh, I didn't know all the terms to be used. and But I... Five minutes after I got saved, I went back in that house where all my friends were, the guys that knew me, um, the good and the bad, and I shared the gospel. I shared my testimonies, what I did, shared what happened in the front yard. Two of those guys got saved, and, you know, I've never gotten over that. I just love seeing people come to Christ. And, you know, we get excited about a lot of things. We get excited about, I don't know, books we've read or movies we've seen or, Things that we've bought, whether it be a new car, a new house, a new job, whatever it is. We're, we're excited to tell people about those things. But when it comes to the gospel, sometimes we're not so faithful in that. And we're not as excited. And I, I get there's many reasons why we're hesitant sometimes. Because maybe we're a little bit fearful. We don't know if we're going to be rejected. We don't know if... If, uh, how they're going to, what questions they're going to ask, and am I always going to have the answers, and there's a million different excuses. But we are going to talk about evangelism, we're going to talk about relational evangelism, because you know, even though we do that stunt show tonight, and there may be several, I don't know how many people's going to be here, I don't know if it's several hundred, I'm not really sure, I would like to think, and I'm pretty confident, because we always see it, people come to know Jesus tonight. But if we were able to, to have a, a large event every single year in Villa Ridge, we're still not going to reach everybody in this community, in this area. And you can only do so many events. And really where the rubber meets the road is you all, where you go out and you share the gospel because you're going to be able to reach people that I would never be able to reach, that Real Encounter the Stunt Team would never be able to reach. You've got neighbors that would never hear from me. You've got coworkers, You've got family members. And that brings me to this question. Does God need us when it comes to getting the gospel spread or people hearing the good news? Does God need us? I would say he he does not need us. Because God's a big God, and God can do anything that he wants to do, when he wants to do it, and how he wants to do it, but you know what the cool thing is is that God chooses to use us. I don't believe He needs us, but He chooses to use us, and we know that He He reaches people with the good news different ways. We've seen from Scripture that uh, people have have seen Jesus. They've 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 heard the gospel through dreams. Uh, there's there's different way that God's we've, God's has spoken directly to people. We see that from Scripture, but the the main avenue or the main way that God spreads the gospel is through his people, right? That, that's his main, the main avenue, the main vehicle, if you will, is through people that have already come to know him. And, and that idea that God doesn't need us but God chooses to use us, the greatest gift that we could ever receive is Christ, right? Again, we talk about a lot of things, we get excited about a lot of things, But the thing that we should be most excited about, the most excited to tell people about, is our relationship to Christ. Amen? LifeWay, if you're familiar with LifeWay, they did a survey a while back, and uh, it was to try to get a grasp on the percentage of people that are sharing their faith regularly in our churches. And so this, this survey, this, this percentage may not apply here to the Ridge Church, but in a lot of churches it probably does apply. They found out through this survey that less than 10% of folks in our churches today are sh- sharing their faith regularly. Less than 10%. Why is that? What, what would be the reason for that? And can you imagine with me if it was flip-flopped? If 90% of folks in our churches were out sharing their faith regularly, you know what would happen? If they're praying and they're sharing, you know what happens? People get saved. It's that simple. When I pray, when I, when I come to the Lord, I say, God, break my heart for the lost. And and I am just in a state of brokenness for those around me, whether it be, again, family. And I've got family members. I've got close family that doesn't know the Lord. I know that I have neighbors right across the street. There's a, anyway, there's people right around me that don't know Jesus. You don't have to go very far. I, I get missions. Man, I get, you know, we take that mission trip when it's convenient, when it's, Around between Christmas and New Year's or it's, or it's spring break or it's summertime, we take mission trips to other cities, other states, other countries. I believe Acts 1-8, you do need to do that. But our Jerusalem, our greatest mission field is right here. We don't have to go very far to find people that do not know Christ. But I am convinced, going back to that whole idea, if 90% were sharing their faith, it should be 100% if, if those that are saved are truly saved, they're going to be sharing But if it was 90%, I can only imagine. And it's not about filling pews. I get that. And I know that COVID's had an effect on all that. We all get that. But if we were praying for the lost, God's broken our heart, and we are sharing our faith, most churches, their buildings would be busting at the seams if they were sharing their faith. Proverbs 11.30 says this. The, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Well, who's the righteous? Those that are right standing with God. Those that have been born again. Those that have been saved. Those, if you've ac- accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a child of the King. You are part of the righteous. And you, my friend, you are a tree of life. God in and through you, that is. And it also says that he in that same same verse, that he who wins souls is wise. He who wins souls is wise. Now, now, in all of my years that I've lived on this earth, I've not been accused of being wise that all that often in the eyes of people. <laughs> but I'll tell you this much. I desire to be wise in the eyes of the Lord when it comes to winning souls. When it comes to sharing the gospel, and hopefully you do as well. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate. Narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Why why is that? Why is the gate small and the road narrow that leads to life? Why is that? Is it just because... Of fallen man it's it's the the nature of of all humans is that they go away from God and that's that that's the natural thing yes that's no doubt about it but I would only imagine and I don't want to take this out of context in any way shape or form but I would only imagine that road might be a little bit wider that leads to life if we are sharing our faith on a regular basis you you understand what I'm saying does that make sense we're going to be in Acts chapter 4 Acts chapter 4, if you have a copy of God's Word today, or digitally, or whatever, Acts chapter 4. Again, we're talking about evangelism, we're talking about relational evangelism. And we're going to look at two men. Two men that were obedient to the faith. And they were sharing the gospel. And we're going to see what, what happens in this time frame of, of first century church. Uh, what was happening during that time and, and that leads me to another question Before we jump into that passage How many people does it take and By the way It says in Acts chapter 17 Those 12 men that were following Jesus God through them was literally turning the world That, that area of the world that Is turning the world upside down How many people does it take Does God need to turn Villa Ridge, Missouri upside down How many does it take 12? Does it take 20? Does it take 50? I see a hand back there. One. That's exactly right. It takes when, one. And that leads me to the next question. I ask, I ask a lot of questions. don't I? Are you one? Are you going to be one that carries the gospel, that shares the good news? Are you going to be that one that is obedient to the faith, to the gospel? We're going to look at an example of two men that were doing just that. And this morning, what we need to do from this passage in Acts chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 1 through 22. We need to glean some things. We should be able to glean some things this morning from this passage that applies to us in the year 2021. COVID or no COVID, no matter what's going on in the world, these things should apply when it comes to sharing the good news and sharing the gospel. To make sure that we have this in context, we need to kind of go back to Acts chapter 2 and chapter 3. So in Acts chapter 2, a very significant event took place, and and it involves Peter. See, Acts chapter 4 is Peter and John. Acts chapter 2 involves Peter, and he's preaching the gospel on the day of Pentecost, right? And it says that Jews were gathered from from every nation, and they were hearing the gospel in their own language as Peter's preaching it. And so they knew that something was going on out of the ordinary. But again, uh, Peter's preaching boldly allowing the Holy Spirit to speak in and through him and he's preaching repentance and then he calls them to baptism and people were being saved matter of fact the number of people as he gets done to the end of that message invitation 3,000 people came to know Christ 3,000 then fast forward to Acts chapter 3 Peter and John Are going to the temple to pray one day. That's a great. That's a great reason to go, right? To worship God, to pray. They're on mission that day. They they had a task at hand, and it was to pray to Almighty God. As they're going through the gate called Beautiful to enter into the temple area, there's a man sitting there that was brought there every single day, and it's very specific. The Bible is very specific, and it says that this man, we don't know his name, we don't know his background, we don't know much about him. But what we do know is that he was crippled from birth. He had never took a step in his life. He was crippled from birth. That's what it says. And what, what did he do? Well, he begged. He would beg for money. This day was no different as Peter and John are passing through. And as you might imagine, I, I can only imagine a lot of people would walk by this man, especially those that would go on a regular basis, and they would somewhat ignore him. They may not even acknowledge, like when he speaks, they may not even look at him and maybe look the other way. But this day was different, and Peter and John were different. They were always looking for divine appointments. And I want to say this, that every single one of us, we all have divine appointments on a regular basis. If we'll just be sensitive and discerning to the Holy Spirit. I'm thankful that Steve Wise, that led me to the Lord, I'm thankful that he was sensitive to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, again, there were 15 guys there that night. But specifically, the spirit, after he shared the gospel, the spirit said, go speak to Brad Bennett. Man, I am thankful to a guy that was willing to step out of his comfort zone, pull me out in the front yard, and share the good news boldly with me. Not shoving it down my throat, and that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about looking for those divine appointments. Peter and John, it was a divine moment. Because here's what happens, right? You know, probably know the story, but as they're walking by, he asks for money, they stop. And it's very interesting to me that it says that they looked directly into his eyes, both of them. It says Peter and John looked intently into this man. You know what that shows? It shows that they care for this man. They're going to give him 100% of their attention, even though they're busy that day. They're going to do something very important, to pray and to worship God. Sometimes we're so busy in our lives, and it's usually not to pray or worship God. We're just busy, and we miss these opportunities But they stopped, they looked at the man, he asked for money. Peter replies, silver and gold we do not have, but what we have can be yours. They ministered to the man, and he said, in the name of Jesus, you are healed. And they reached out their hand and grabbed his hand, and he stood up for the very first time in his life. I mean, these legs where the muscles and the ligaments had never been used in the blink of an eye. In that moment, they were made strong enough for him to stand up, and it, they didn't have to teach him to walk. I mean, like this whole motorcycle thing that I do, I've broken eight bones. I've had three knee surgeries, and the list goes on and on and on. Every time I'm in a cast and I get that cast off, my leg has shrunk up to the bone. When I get that cast off. And I have to go to a physical therapist. And he has to retrain me. The last thing, I I separated my shoulder about three years ago. And, uh, you know, it took about six weeks before I could even, I had full mobility of that arm. You know? Here, in the blink of an eye, like, boom. He's able to stand up and walk. And it says that he walked in with them. They didn't just lead him to Christ and go, okay, okay figure it out on your own like they understood not only evangelism they understood discipleship right and I know a lot of times we think well my gift is evangelism and it's it's someone else's job to disciple or I'm gifted in discipleship and it's someone else's job to evangelize no we're called to both it's like two sides of one coin and so this guy gets gets healed and I kind of wondered when I used when I first read that passage years ago I was like Okay, I know physical healing is important, taking care of people physically with either resources or time or whatever it may be. But what about the spiritual healing? And if you fast forward to verse 16, it says that he received a complete healing. So I believe it was physical and spiritual. But, so he walks in. And he's with him, and it says that he's holding on to them. Isn't that cool? He's holding on to them, like he's holding on tight. Like Peter and John are walking with Jesus. Now he's walking with Jesus, and we're going to do this thing together. But he goes in, and he just nonchalantly says, yeah, I received Christ. No. (laughs) He's like, it says, he was jumping. He was excited. Are you still excited about getting saved? Are you still excited about your relationship with Christ and you can't wait to tell people about it? Or have you gotten over it? I know there's times I've missed divine appointments. So as the preacher, I'm not like trying to guilt. Like I, (laughs) most of you may share the gospel more than I do relationally. I don't know. I'm very comfortable on a stage and I can preach to 50 or 500 or 5,000. I'm very comfortable with that but I still get uncomfortable when it comes to one-on-one because I don't know how they're going to respond or they're going to reject, they're going to ask questions. The point is, is he was excited to tell people what happened to him. And I don't think he got over it. And I don't think it was just, I think it was more the spiritual than the physical. Yeah, he was excited he could walk. Wouldn't you be excited? But what about walking spiritually? Going from being dead to alive, spiritually speaking, going from being blinded spiritually to being able to see for the first time. Think back on whenever that was for you, whether it was six years old or 60 years old or somewhere in between. Remember what it was like to be saved? There are people right now that God has divine appointments for you. To share the gospel. People that are in desperate need and hope. We don't have to go very far to find people that are paralyzed, spiritually speaking. Again, the supernatural was taking place in this time. And people were asking questions. And it gave them opportunity to preach the gospel. And that's every time someone asked a question, what did they do? They shared the gospel. They took the opportunity. And that's what we need to do. That's what we have to do. And it's not one of these things where it's like, well, um, yeah, I've got the Great Commission, and God's no. It's not like a suggestion. It is not just the commissioning. There's a commandment to it. And even before the Great Commission, you've got the Great Commandment. You've got um, Mark chapter twelve, verse thirty, where it says, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength." What is the second? Love your neighbor as yourself. And if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, the totality of your being, guess what's going to be a natural result? You're going to love your neighbor. And if you say you love your neighbor, you know what that means? That means that you care for them, yes, physically, yes. Hey, oh, you need uh, help moving that? Oh, you need, um, uh, you've had someone pass away and you need some food brought to your front door? Yes, all that's wonderful. God intends for us to do that. But it's also tending to their spiritual needs as well. The physical should lead to the spiritual. That's what should happen. Well, we've got the great commandment, and yes, we have the great, great commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Most of the time we say 19 through 20, but it also includes verse 18 because it says that Jesus has all authority. Like in verse 18, like it's because of him. It's not about us, it's about him. <laughs> the, whole gr- the great commandment and the great commission is all about jesus amen all right that leads us to acts chapter four here we go that was all introduction <laughs> you're like oh brother <clears throat> um we're gonna move through, quickly through 22 verses are you ready here we go say oh yeah if you're ready okay here we go verse one you know the backstory. Verse 1, the priest, the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. What were they speaking? They're speaking the gospel. They're sharing the good news. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John because it was evening. They put them in jail until the next day. But many, many who heard the message believed. And the number grew to what? 5,000. Acts chapter 2, day of Pentecost, 3,000 comes to know Christ. We see in chapter 3 there's, still, there's healings taking place physically and spiritually. Somewhere between that time, we don't know how much space has gone, how much time has elapsed between chapter 2 and chapter 4. Some would say two years, some would say less. I don't know, but here's what the point is. The main point is the thing that's important is the number grew to from 3,000 to 5,000. If my math is correct, and I'm not, I'm not very good at math. I'm a mathematician. But if my math is correct, 3 to 5, that's 2,000 more people that have come to know Christ. Because of the obedience of two men. How many people does it take for Villa Ridge, Missouri to be turned upside down for Christ? One. But can you imagine if it was 2, 3, 4, 5, 10, 20. Whoa, mind-blowing. 5,000 people have come to know Christ because of their obedience, because of the Holy Spirit working in and through these men. Verse 5. The next day the rulers, the elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Get these names. They probably, probably sound familiar to you. And the high priest was there, so was Caiaphas john alexander and the other men of the high priest family these are the same men these are these are the gatekeepers of of religion of that time right they're they're the power brokers when it comes to spiritual things right they are the same men that were there when jesus was arrested beaten and crucified these are the same men that peter and john put the Get that in your mind. They're standing before the same ones that had Jesus put to death, especially Caiaphas. That right, Jim. We were there, Caiaphas. At his house. Whew. That was a powerful day, my brother. All right. They had Peter and John brought in before them, began to question them. This is a great question. By what power or what name did you do this? (laughs) Well, first of all, it wasn't them that did it. (laughs) It was God that did it. And it was God that was doing it in and through them. Great question. It deserves a great answer. And there was one because Peter, it says, was filled with the Holy Spirit. So he's going to give the right answer because the Holy Spirit was working in and through him. I want to take this moment. To remind you, again, I've already said it several times... It's not about us. Sometimes we make it about us. Sometimes we don't share our faith. We don't share the gospel because we're living in fear. We're worried about what people will think about us. Will they think I'm weird? Will they think I'm oddballs? Will they think I'm too narrow-minded? Yes, they will think all that. (laughs) It's okay for them to think that. But when you present the gospel... And someone rejects. You know it feels like they're rejecting you. Us. Me. But they're not. They're rejecting him. And if they accept Jesus. It's not about me. It's not because of me. I was just being obedient to God. I can't save anyone. Can you save anyone? I can't save anyone. Only God can do that. That's his job. All I have to do. All I have to do. Is just be obedient. And just be faithful, and just be that mouthpiece, to be that conduit, to be that clay in the Father's hand to be able to be used. That's all we have to do. That's all Peter was doing. But he's about to give a reply here to that question. But it it says in verse 8, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. So he's about to give a reply. He's about to speak. But I think it's important that we don't miss that, that it says that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit before he even spoke. That's what we have to do. You know, you'll always say the right thing if, if the Spirit's leading. You will. You won't say the wrong thing if you're allowing the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit to lead, guide, and direct and give discernment. And that's what the Holy Spirit was doing. He was being filled with the Holy Spirit. It says, rulers and elders of the people, if we we're being called in account today for an act of kindness, shown to a cripple and asked how he was healed... Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. He was being controlled by the Spirit, not by the flesh. I, I think to me I, and I, I get it, man i I probably wrestle more than any of you in here between the spirit and the flesh on a daily basis, but one either one's going to be in control of the other or the other. flesh is going to be in control, spirit's going to be in control how do we how are we controlled by the spirit? Well, Paul talks about all about that, another sermon for another day, but Paul talks about that in Romans chapter seven and Romans chapter eight, and he talks about man i do i don't do what I want to do and what i should do i don't and he's talking about it sounds like he's schizophrenic but he's talking about um the old man versus the new man and there's that whole deal and i get i get there's a wrestling but the more that we die to the flesh as it says in luke chapter 9 verse 23 if you want to come follow me take up your cross daily and then come follow me right taking up your cross means that we're dying that we're yielding that we're surrendering I, I, led, I led a young man to the Lord uh, about two or three weeks ago. And I talked about the importance of that. I said, I said man, y- you've got to allow the Holy Spirit to do a work in you. And it's a lifelong process. Sanctific- I was trying to explain sanctification without even using that word. But I was talking about you're a brand new creature in Christ. Second Corinthians 5, 17. If he's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old's gone. The new's come. But I said it may not always feel new because we're wrestling between the spirit, the flesh and the spirit. But the more you take up your cross, the more you yield, the more you surrender. And when two nations go to war, right, it, lifting up your hands, raising up the white flag is a sign of weakness, right? But not in, not in the spiritual realm, not with God. It's the opposite. When I, when I say, God, I give up. I accept you. I, I want to be on your team. I don't want to be on Adam's team. Uh, the old you know the adam and uh, satan i don't want i want to be on your team and i surrender my life man that's that's a sign of of true life a different life and power because the holy spirit is is within us and we can overcome death and sin and there's all all those benefits that come from knowing christ and having the holy spirit but he was filled with the holy spirit he was speaking From the context of the Holy Spirit, it was a spirit-controlled life. Very important when it comes to just living this life, let alone share the gospel. Okay, Acts chapter four, verse twelve. It says salvation. So they've been asked this question. He he starts preaching the gospel. He's being filled. He's with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit speaking in and through him. He starts preaching the gospel, and then he says in verse twelve, he says salvation. I love this. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. You see, we think this whole postmodern culture thing where people believe there are many roads that lead to one end, we think that's a new thing. It's not a new thing. There's nothing new under the sun. Two thousand years ago, they were still saying, Jesus is the only way. John 14:6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except by me. It's only Jesus, right? Same then as it is now. We need to tell people that. I live in Springfield, Missouri. I definitely live what I would consider in the Bible Belt. As a matter of fact, um, there might even be a good argument that Springfield, Missouri could be the buckle of the Bible Belt. Because you've got the Assembly God World Headquarters there. You've got the B- Baptist Bible Fellowship. You've got Christian Universities there. You've got a church on every other corner. You would think in Springfield, Missouri... That I wouldn't have to tell people that Jesus is the only way. They would know Jesus is the only way. They probably would have already heard the gospel. Because I live in the Bible Belt. And maybe even the buckle of the Bible Belt. But I encounter people all the time that don't know that. I knew it. You know when I got saved over 30 years ago. I I knew that he was the only way. But I didn't understand what it meant to be saved. Until someone explained it to me. But... Quite frankly, I come across people all the time that they don't even know that. They think that Jesus is one way of many. Like, it's, it, I have, God gives me the opportunity to create him in my own image. Instead of us being created in his image. Or being transformed into his, the image of Christ. Like, I can just come up with salad bowl religion, believe whatever I want to believe, and he becomes the God that I want him to be. Right, And I encounter people all the time. They were doing the exact same thing. They had to do it with the religious leaders. There's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. It's important that we tell people that. And I'm telling you, there are people right now outside these walls that you know that are ready to hear that. They're ready. A lot of times we look at people's lives and we go, I don't know if they would receive. And I don't know if I'm going to share because... I know their life and I know kind of, I know who they are and they just probably wouldn't be open to that. Do you think Saul, people looking at Saul before he became Paul, on the road to Damascus he had this encounter with God. Do you think people looked at Saul and go, oh yeah, he's a, he's a great candidate to come to know Jesus. Like he's persecuting Christians. matter of fact, the first one that we know of in the New Testament, Stephen uh, was martyred and who was there? Saul. Saul was there giving approval. Like that's, he, right. He wasn't a great candidate for it, but he came to know Christ, and he's the guy that wrote most of the New Testament, being used great and mighty by God. We can't judge who's ready and who's not ready. We just have to be faithful, and we have to be obedient. All right. Verse 13, I also love this verse. We can glean this from it. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. And they were astonished, I love that word, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Do you consider yourself ordinary? Have you ever, have you even, but have you used that, like, as an excuse, like, man, I'm too ordinary. Like, I'm not the pastor, I'm not the evangelist like Bob Caldwell, like, I'm not, I'm not that. You know what God wants to do? God wants to take ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Because when God takes ordinary people to do extraordinary things, who gets the glory? He does. And you know what else we have to do? Or to acknowledge that, that I'm just ordinary? It, you come to a place where you really have to rely on Him. I, I'm glad I'm ordinary. I, I, I'm one of the most ordinary people you would ever meet. If you would have told me years ago I would be preaching and speaking, I would have I said, You're crazy. Like, I felt like my talents and gifts was in the area of bicycles and motorcycles and all that kind of thing, but to speak, it does not come natural to me at all. I get nervous every single time I get up to stand up to speak. I get nervous, but it, it drives me to really rely on the Lord, and that's what we have to do. Ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Another very elementary truth. But the more time we spend with Jesus the, we like Jesus, the more we become like Jesus. The more we become like Jesus, the more we do the things that Jesus would do, right? That's the way it works. All right. Come to the end. Here we go. Last, last um, few verses. Verses 14 through 22. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing that they could say. So they ordered them withdraw from the Sanhedrin. and They conferred together. <laughs> What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows that they have done an outstanding miracle. Of course, we know it was God. And we cannot deny it. They couldn't deny it. But to speak, to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. They called the men again. Commanded them. Commanded them. Not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So, put yourself in their shoes. You're standing before the religious leaders the ones that have the authority to have you persecuted, be put to death, they tell you, hey, don't speak or teach at all in this name. Uh, We're going to send you out, uh, but just, you know, we're not going to kill you now. But um, just don't speak or teach at all. What what would you say? What would you do? Would you reply? Not reply? (laughs) Peter spoke up, and he did give a reply. says, but Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves. Whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. And verse 20. This is challenging to me. Verse 20. For we cannot help speak about what we have seen and what we have heard. And after further threats they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. I don't know about you, but I want to be in a place all the time, yielded to God in such a way that I cannot help. But even when I'm nervous, even when I'm fearful, even when I, there's so many unknowns, man, I want to be that guy that's like, I can't help but speak what God has done in my life. And I want, be able to, I want people to be able to look at me and know that, that, that um, even though I'm not perfect, like, but there's something different. And, I, and I, think, I think that's the deal. I don't think people are looking to us those that don't know Christ to be perfect They're just looking for something that's authentic And real because they don't have it out there They don't Everything Like, like everything that we all the, all the marketing Oh this is real It's 100% pure Like really? The only thing that can be 100% pure and real Is someone that's been Redeemed and born again Right? That's what people are looking for so I end with what I started with. Does God need us? No. Does he choose to use us? Yes. Isn't that cool? Will you be one? Will you be that one that God can use in great and mighty ways? Let's pray. Father, thank you, God, for the grace and mercy to us. Thank you for all those that have been saved in this room. I pray if there be anyone here today that's never ex- Received you, accepted you That today would be the day of salvation And we pray for salvation tonight For sure God may you continue to do a work in us May we be sensitive To those divine appointments and opportunities Amen